I mean, the faster you can get out of debt and you take the, if you just take your car payment and you invested a car payment every month from age 22 to age 62, it gets out to be like $5.5 million. Like it's insane what happens when you just say, you know what, instead of just living the norm, paycheck to paycheck with debt, I'm actually going to let my money work for me. Welcome to the Big Kid Problems Podcast, based on the comedic social channel all about not wanting to be an adult. I'm your host, Sarah Merrill, the writer, creator, and pretty normal human behind the popular Instagram, Twitter, blog, and now podcast, Big Kid Problems. So I've spent the last almost decade making jokes about navigating the adult world. And as I've gotten older, I've realized that no matter what your age is, we all have big kid problems. We're all just trying to figure it out. And you know what? That's okay. So each week, we're going to take a funny yet informative look at a specific struggle or big kid problem, if you will. Then we'll break it down with a rotating cast of comedians, personalities, and experts to actually give us the tools and resources to help us solve our big kid problem of the week. From love and relationships, money, career, physical and mental health, bad decisions, and just general life responsibilities, nothing is off limits. So thank you so much for joining me as we navigate adulthood together. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey, friends. Welcome back to another week and another episode of the Big Kid Problems podcast. If you're new here, I'm your host, Sarah Merrill, the writer and creator of Big Kid Problems, which is a popular Instagram, Twitter, blog, and now obviously podcast. So welcome. We have such a good episode for you today. We've got two-time number one national best-selling author and financial expert, Rachel Cruz, in the house today. As the daughter of Dave Ramsey, Rachel has been living and breathing personal finance pretty much her whole life. And I just love how she makes everything approachable and easy to understand. Like she is known for teaching the basics of how to avoid debt, save money and budget. But in her new book, Know Yourself, Know Your Money, which just came out, she takes things a bit deeper to give us an understanding of why we handle money the way we do and how to break out of some of our bad habits. Today, we're going to talk about how the homes we grew up in shape our relationship with money, the different tendencies we all have with money, and if you're in a committed relationship, how to get a better understanding of your partner's relationship with money so that you guys can get on the same page. Oh man, as someone who is about to get married, I found this conversation so eye-opening. Me and my fiance come from two totally different money backgrounds. So it was actually really interesting to discuss like how people who have completely different financial views can still partner together. We talk a bit about combining finances too, which I thought was such a fascinating part of this interview. Like Rachel has some excellent, excellent insight on personal finance for marriage that kind of blew my mind. And it was definitely different than what I was expecting. So I hope you guys get so much out of this episode. I know I learned a ton. And if you do like this podcast, please make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and maybe post it on your Instagram stories if you want to share the knowledge. There is a lot of great info in here. So with that, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Stay tuned and we will be right back with Rachel Cruz. 
Guys, we are talking money today. And if you're looking for a little side hustle in 2021, a way to earn a little extra income from the comfort of your home. And hey, if you happen to like wine, well, I have the perfect gig for you. Let's talk One Hope Wine. Longtime listeners of this podcast know I'm a big fan of One Hope, partially because my fiance is one of the founders, but also because they have delicious wine that gives back to different incredible causes around the world. If I'm going to buy a bottle of wine, like I like to know that my dollar is giving back, you know? But did you know that you can actually make money by becoming a cause entrepreneur with One Hope? When you sign up, you can hold wine tastings, make money, and fundraise for nonprofits all at the same time. How it works is you get a personal website with One Hope. You send your link out to friends, family, colleagues, whoever. And when they purchase wine through you, not only does every bottle give back to a meaningful cause, but you'll also get up to 25% commission on any purchases they make. I know. It's amazing. And like, I already know my friends are buying wine. So it's just easy for them to purchase directly through me, have wine shipped directly to their door, and they can feel good knowing that their wine consumption is actually doing something good in the world. As a cause entrepreneur, you can also host any event with One Hope Wine and pick a charity of your choice where event proceeds can be donated to. So if you have like a local charity or cause in your community you want to raise money for, One Hope Wine is the way to go. If you're interested in learning more and becoming a cause entrepreneur with One Hope, you can DM me. Like, I'm happy to talk about this all day. Or just go to onehopewine.com slash BKP and click join to get started. Starter kits begin at just $29 and come with everything you need to launch a successful wine business at home. And for this month only, enroll with any starter kit and receive a $21 wine credit to use on your next purchase. Again, that is One wine.com slash BKP and click join to get started today. All right, guys, welcome back to the Big Kid Problem podcast. I'm sitting here now with the one and only Rachel Cruz. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks for having me on. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited you're on in. I'm I'm so happy to hear that I have another Nashville girl on the podcast. <laughs> I know we like see each other through a screen, but I'm like we're only miles away from each other. We're so close. <laughs> I know. It feels good. It feels good yeah. regardless. Um, well, I'm so excited for you. You obviously you just launched your book, uh, Know Yourself, Know Your Money, uh, and what a great time to be coming out. I know it's the new year. I know you know a lot of us like are like you know what this is the year I'm going to get my finances under control. So this is great time. Timing. And before we kind of talk a little bit about your book, I'd love for you to give my audience maybe a little bit of background on you and what even gave you the idea to write this book. Yeah. Well, for the last, gosh, decade, 10 years now, uh, I've been traveling and speaking and writing and doing a podcast and a show all on personal finance and understanding how you can control your money and create a life that you love. And so all day, every day, I talk about how to budget, how to get out of debt, how to invest, how to teach your kids about money, how to uh, give generously, how to do all these things with money. Because my whole story is I grew up as Dave Ramsey's kid and my parents were just really intentional with teaching us how money works. So from early on, I knew, okay, this way of dealing with money is kind of different, kind of a common sense approach. And it is a little weird to live without debt and to live on a budget and say no to yourself, uh, even though everyone else is saying yes. Like all these principles were so ingrained in who I was and I believed in them so greatly. And so, again, I've dedicated my career to this. 
But about three years ago, I started on this journey personally where I was really digging in and figuring out more about myself and who I am and why I do the things I do. And through the Enneagram and through counseling and through books and conversations with friends, I was really having a ton of self-awareness. And and overall, I think, I mean, I've not arrived by any means, but I had this level of emotional health where I feel like I was just a better wife. I was a better mom, a better friend. I was just so aware of things that Mm -hmm. I wasn't before. And I thought like, man, how does this affect my money? Like all the self-awareness I'm having about myself, does that affect my money at all? And so then I started down this like, black hole is what it felt like of like unpacking, wow, why do I spend the money I spend? Why do I value certain things over other things? Why do I have an abundance mentality versus a scarcity mentality? I mean, I started asking myself all these questions and I thought this has to be my next book. And so where 10 years of my life has been the how-to, I'm now asking the question, why? Why do we handle money the way we do? Because personal finance is 80% behavior. It's Mm -hmm. only 20% head knowledge. And so to understand how money works, it's pretty easy to understand in our minds, but doing it is so difficult. And so changing our behavior, we have to understand why we have these behaviors in the first place. Oh my gosh, it's, it's so true. And I love that you just said that, that it's mostly a behavior thing. And, and a lot of us do, we kind of go through life and we have these programs that, you know, why we are the way we are and we don't always realize like where they're coming from. And I love that. And especially, you know, in the beginning of your book, you kind of go into a little bit about like the money classroom and basically like the money classroom that we all grew up in. We didn't even realize, we, we didn't even realize we were in class, but we were. And I would love for you to maybe tell us a little bit about that. And I love, I always love like, I'm with you on the self-awareness stuff and, you know, digging in deep and fi- figuring out like why we are the way we are. So I loved this portion of your book. Give us, give us oh, the... Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. Give I us the like, Yeah. I think, you know, starting out and going back to like how you grew up, it's really important because it shapes a lot of who we are today. And so what I realized is that money is communicated in two ways in a household. It's communicated verbally and it's communicated emotionally. And so as I was writing the manuscript, I like made this like diagram. It ended up being like this like, quadrant. And I was like, oh my gosh, Jesus gave me a graph. And I'm so happy about it because it makes so much sense. And like, this is it. And I realized, yeah, these are these four money classrooms. And your classroom is, again, the home you grew up in. And there's lessons that we all learned um, that we take with us into adulthood. And we all have lessons we wish we could unlearn and not do as adults that happened. And so those four classrooms, it ends up being classroom one is the anxious money classroom. So this is where money was verbally closed. It was not talked about and emotionally stressed. So if you grew up in this household, you know, again, it wasn't talked about, but whenever there was, if there was the mention of money or bills were due at the end of the month, things were happening, you felt a lot of tension Mm. and a lot of stress. And then classroom number two is the unstable money classroom. And this is where it's verbally open, but emotionally stressed. So lots of conflict. You heard fights. Maybe you heard your parents fight the same fight over and over again about money. They may have fought with extended family members about money, but like you heard it and it was obvious. Classroom number three is the unaware money classroom. And this is where it's verbally closed, but emotionally calm. So it wasn't talked about, but everything kind of seemed fine. A little bit, probably your head was in the sand with money. You didn't really think about it. Uh, It just wasn't a thing. And then classroom number four is the healthiest money classroom, but that's the secure money classroom. And this is where it's verbally open and emotionally calm. And I would say, too, you don't have to have a lot of money to be in that classroom or you didn't have to have a lot of money growing up to be in classroom number four. But again, it's, it's this idea that there's a level of control over the money. There's a plan. There's boundaries in place. So there's 
not a lot of stress because it's controlled and it's open. You, the communication verbally is open. You're talking about it and it's something that's discussed. And I think for, again, depending on whether you talked about money growing up or you didn't, whether it was stressed or calm, figuring out that money classroom is really important because you can see why you do things the way you do them or why you don't. Because I talked to some people and they mirror a lot of what their parents said just because they don't know any better. They don't even think about it. And other people intentionally do the exact opposite of how they were raised because they were like, that was not a good place how I was raised with money. So I want to do something different. But going back there is really important to kind of figure out who you are today. Yeah. I I hope anybody listening right now, you're kind of thinking about which classroom you're in. For me, when I was reading this, like originally I was like, oh, I'm definitely an anxious money classroom. But actually when I started thinking about it, like I think I'm, I came from the unstable money classroom because... Mm. We were anxious about money, but it was also talked about. Like I knew I couldn't ask for certain things. Like I knew, you know, I wanted to go on like, I remember so like, I remember really wanting to join this cheerleading league when I was little. And I like was so nervous to ask my mom because I knew it was going to be a no and it was a no. Yeah, (laughs) Um, Uh uh You know, so, and it was just like pain after pain after pain. And I definitely realized that like even in my adult life, I'm like, wow, I've carried so much of this. Yeah, it's so interesting. And I think too, that volatility, that that unstable, that classroom number two, like I have a friend and she's one of the people I wrote about in the book because she would say, you know, oh yeah, she was like, it was so volatile. So it would be like an absolute no to something harshly. But then like they would get a tax return and be like, let's go shopping. And it was like, what? Okay. But then the next day it was like, no, we can't buy that cereal. Why did you even ask? Like, yeah, it was like kind of this volatility feeling as well. And and it is, there's there's weaknesses with each of the classrooms for sure. But it, it's fascinating because again, it shapes so much of who we are and you can start to see those red flags when things happen. And so obviously for people that were raised where money wasn't talked about, it's hard to communicate about it at times. Uh, when things are stressed, it's hard to engage conversations about it because you feel like it's going to automatically bring up conflict. So there's a lot there for sure. Yeah. I think it's so interesting too when you start getting into relationships, which I'm definitely going to bring up a little bit later on. But when you start thinking about like what your money classroom is versus like maybe what your significant other classroom was, you know, you can start to see why maybe you guys don't speak the same language financially. Exactly. Um, So I definitely want to get into that. But before I do, I mean, I imagine obviously growing up with Dave Ramsey as your dad, you probably came from a secure money classroom. (laughs) And I'm interested like because he, you know, he gives so much advice. Was there ever like a really strong piece of advice that has like stuck with you throughout your whole life that maybe, maybe was like a lesson you got in childhood? One thing he says, and I quote him all the time when I steal the quote sometimes because it's so good. But for me, I'm a natural spender. I enjoy buying things. Like That's just part of my personality, who I am. And I remember he would always tell us that it's okay to have nice stuff. Just don't let your nice stuff have you. Hmm. And that stuff can have you through debts because you don't own it. Some, you know, The bank owns it at that point. And it can have you if your joy or your contentment, your identity is wrapped up in that thing. So that was one thing I, I love that we talked about because it's a balance. Because some people think of like Dave Ramsey or Ramsey Solutions as like, you're never allowed to spend money. And we're like, no, that's not it at all. Like we actually want you to live a great life and, and to be able to live like no one else, you know, eventually and enjoy for sure. Um, so it's not about the acquirement of things, but having a, a healthy perspective of that is really important. And that's hard today in our world. And what's interesting too, you said it earlier, but yeah, I, I wrote that I grew up in that fourth money classroom. I really did. We weren't perfect um, as a family, but that was very much the environment. And I was telling my parents as I was writing this manuscript about that section and they both started laughing. And I was like, what? And they were like, uh, yeah, 
because your memories start at like four, five, six years old. Before that, it was the unstable money classroom. <laughs> there was lots of fights, lots of tension around money because they filed bankruptcy the year I was born. So climbing out of that, I mean, it was it was a tough, tough few years for sure for them. So it was just funny that my memories uh, start at one point, but their story is so much greater. Yeah, thank thank God for that. That your memories start yeah. a little bit later. You could be in my boat, sister. Uh, it's funny because, like, as somebody who comes from the, the like un, the uh, what is it the unstable money classroom, like yeah. I'm jealous of people who grew up with the stable mm. side. And I'm like, oh, mm. I feel like I'm I'm at such a disadvantage. But like, is this a death sentence? Like, can you work around yeah, this? <laughs> yes, 100%. 100%. Yeah, definitely not a death sentence. Um, and I would say each of the classrooms has their weaknesses. And I think some people, again, I think the more aware you are of it, the more you can change those behaviors. And anyone, it does, your past does not does not exclude you from winning with money. That's actually one of the financial fears I talk about in another section of the book is that people think, oh, my past mistakes or my past is now going to limit me in my future. And that's not the case. Like No matter who you are, no matter where you grew up, you can always start to move your own family or yourself to that fourth money classroom. Um, and even for those in the fourth money classroom, I mean, I've talked to some people and they have this like sense that they feel like everything automatically is going to be easy for them. And there's a sense of entitlement that gets pulled mm. if you grew up in that fourth money classroom that you have to fight against and say, no, just because my parents were money smart doesn't mean I'm going to be. I'm an adult and I have to make decisions. And it's actually a hard, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of sacrifice that you may not see your parents have done in, in classroom number four. So they all kind of come with their weaknesses, but no, it is not It is not a death sentence by any means. <laughs> That's good to, good to know. Good to know. Yes, for sure. For sure. I know. Um, and you you tapped on it for a second, but you started talking about like our money tendencies. And I know this is like an area that you focused on a lot a lot in the book. And I thought this was really, really interesting because there's actually like a spectrum of like where you kind of fall with your money tendencies. And I thought this was so eye-opening. Can you maybe like share a few of those and why they matter? Yeah. Yeah. So I write about seven money tendencies and, and there's no moral compass to these. So it's not like one is good and one is bad. It's just really who you are, where you naturally gravitate. So one is spender versus saver. Hmm. You naturally are either a spender or a saver. I'm a spender for sure. My husband is a saver. What are you? I'm a saver. I'm a saver and my husband is a spender. (laughs) Okay, there you go. Yeah. And what's funny is if you are married, usually the opposite attracts thing is very true in this. Okay. I was going to ask that. I'm like, is it like a thing where you will always attract the person who's like opposite to you in these? Because we're so opposite in like every area. It's so funny. And all of these tendencies. Yes. Yeah. So are we, we literally are the exact opposite in all of them. It's so funny. So yeah. So knowing, and, and I would say this too, there's not one that's right or wrong, but the extremes can get unhealthy. So if you're an extreme spender and you just spend everything you make, you're going to be broke. You know, if you're a saver and you're an extreme saver and you don't spend at all, then you're not going to enjoy life. So like, we don't want to go extreme on any of these, but again, that natural tendency. So it's good to know. It's good to say out loud. Uh, there's the nerd and the free spirit when it comes to budgeting. So for budgeting or like handling money, uh, some people love to do it. it. It's exciting. They have Excel. They have all their numbers. They like to see progress. They're more the nerds. And then there's the free spirits that are swipe, not great at details. Swipe your card and pray. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. So I'm a free spirit, actually, even though I teach money stuff all day. I lean more on that side. My husband, yeah, is the nerd. What about you guys? So this one's weird because I'm like really extreme on all the other areas of like super saver, like all of that. But then when it came to this, I'm like, I am so unaware of 
of like where my money actually goes. I mean, like, I'm not like, I'm not a big spender. So maybe that's part of it because I'm not like just, you know, throwing stuff around. But for the most part, I'm kind of just like swiping away. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, I don't really like know. Yeah. 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 I'll give you that free spirit. That's great. Okay. And then there's the spectrum of when you buy something, do you lean more on the experience side of life? Do you spend more on experiences or do you spend more on actual things? I'm definitely more experience. Definitely yeah, more so experience. Yeah. Yes. My husband is things. He like... like if we go out to a nice dinner and we laugh all the time because we got married really young, right out of college. And I swear for like the first year, he wouldn't buy a drink at a restaurant. He would drink water every time we went out to eat. And I would get so frustrated. I'm like, babe, how about a glass of wine? Order a glass <laughs> of wine. And he's like, no, that, how much I pay for that wine? I can buy a bottle next door. Like, no, I'm not doing it. And I would get so frustrated. But then I look and I'm like, man, if I had this you know, this, this this vocabulary, I could realize that he just doesn't value experiences for him. He's like, no, I would rather spend that money somewhere else, something that I can use over and over again. And so I'm like, man, it's so funny because we're just so different. I'm like, the amount of money I would spend on a nice dinner, especially Nashville. We got some great restaurants in Nashville yep. that I would spend out, you know, on a great dinner. He's like, no, I could buy a, bear, a pair of boots for that money <laughs> and have them that I could wear over and over again. That's so true. It's so funny. I mean, my my fiance, he's going to hate me for telling this story. <laughs> like, whatever. <laughs> I feel so bad. He gets used as an example all the time on this podcast. He's like, please stop. <laughs> yeah. um, but he would say he's an experienced guy, but he's totally the the other one. The, the things. The things. And we were we were like shopping for the new iPhone and like, and you know, there's like, there's four different, there's, I don't even know how many types of iPhones there are, yeah, but yeah, yeah. you know, the store had the iPhone pro, like pro, but they didn't have the iPhone pro max. And he's like, no, I need the iPhone pro max. I'm like, what's the difference? Tell me one differentiating factor between those two phones and you can get the pro. And he like, couldn't name it. He just know he knew he had to have the best one. I'm like, this is ridiculous. That's so funny. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh, well, that kind of goes to the next one. So there's another spectrum of quality versus quantity. So do you like having like one nice thing or would you rather have like 10 items for the same price? I kind of go nice, nicer. I yep. think. Yep. Yeah. Quality. Yeah. Yeah. I'm quite, I'm more yep. in the middle of that spectrum though. Cause I think it depends on category. You know, like I yes. love, I love my bargains. Like, I'd rather get like, you know, four sweaters from TJ Maxx as opposed to like one really nice one uh, at Saks, you know? So I guess it's a for sure, for sure. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I'm more quantity. I like options. I'm like, I'll have, you know, Winston's like, do you want a nice pair of diamond earrings? I'm like, no, I want 20 cheap earrings that I can like choose from and have options for. I like it all. But yeah, I, I was out to dinner with some girlfriends and we were planning a trip. This was like a year and a half ago. And it was so funny because half the table would say, no, we want like a really nice house by the beach. We all have our own room. That's like vacation. And we can stay a, you know, a shorter amount of time for that money, mm. but I'd rather go a small amount of time for a nice house. Where half the table is like, no, we can go longer. We'll get a cheap house and drive to the beach. And we can all like, you know, share beds. It's fine. And I was like, oh gosh, this is so funny. Even planning a girl's trip, you can tell who, who values quality over quantity. That's so funny. That's so true. Oh my gosh. Okay, these are fun. Keep going. <laughs> okay, I'll do another one. Um, scarcity versus abundance. So do you have an abundance mentality, meaning um, that money in general or opportunities, like there's just more of everything. There's always more to get. It's never going to run out. It's going to be okay. 
Or is it more of a scarcity mentality where you think, okay, if something happens, we need to make sure that this is okay. I'm going to kind of keep it close. It feels good to have this security over here. A little bit more of that scarcity mentality. Mm-hmm. Which would which would you be? Oh, for sure, scarcity. But I've been trying. I've been trying to fight that. Like I'm like I am aware that I am super scarcity mentality, and it's really hard. Like there's there's definitely a separation between like okay, I'm aware of this, and then actually moving your behavior. Yes. Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah. And and these two, I would say again, the extremes of both are not good, right? Like a s- extreme scarcity. Yeah, not that. But my like my husband is a natural more scarcity. And, and I don't think that's always bad. I think there's a lot of wisdom to that side of the spectrum that some people don't give credit for. But I do. I think there's a lot of wisdom. There's a lot more slow down pacing. And they make almost scarcity mentality can make wiser decisions. Abundance, sometimes we can get a little careless. And we're like, oh, it's fine. No big deal. We'll figure <laughs> it out. But it's there. Yeah. So that's good. Um, okay. So if you were going to decide or anyone listening... That, okay, I'm going to buckle down and I'm actually going to start being intentional with my money. I really want to build wealth. I want to be smart. I want to be in control of my money. So I'm going to budget. I'm going to get out of debt. I'm going to do these things. Your motivation to get control of your money, there's really two main motivations. Is it security? Because you want to feel safe. You want to feel secure that everything is good, that there's a level of like, okay, I can rest and there's peace. Or are you going to do these things because of status? And status is not a bad word in this example. I feel like sometimes that's a bad word. But status meaning I'm going to do these things so that I can do other great things. Like I will budget so that I can buy something fun in two months. Or I will sacrifice and get out of debt so that I have no payments. And when my money comes in, then I can go on a great vacation. Mm. That's that. I'm I'm trying to think. I'm like, I feel like I'm both. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You could be in the middle. You could be in the middle for sure. For yeah. Sure. I'm probably more, I'm probably leaning more towards security. Yeah. For sure. Yep. Yeah. Now that I think about it, actually, I do think I'm more, more like focused more on security. security. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I've heard totally, is like totally. a lot of like a female, it's a female thing. I think I read in your book that it's like, Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Fears. One of the top financial fears for women is the lack of of security when mm-hmm. it comes to money. That if something happens, are we going to be okay? That's like the number one top financial fear for most women. So, yeah, that's very much. I like. I I lean a little bit more status. I'm like I'm a spender. I just like yeah. I will budget, but I just need to know that I can do something fun on the other side of that budget. That I'm like yes, I'm doing it for something. But yeah. Where my sister, my sister, she definitely leans a little bit more of that safety. Like it's so funny. I laugh because. She and her husband have been talking about building this deck. They're like going to redo this deck out in their house. And they've been talking about it for three years. And I'm like, Denise, you have the money. Build the deck. Like, just build it. Like, stop talking about it. Build it. And she's like, I know. It just feels so good to see that money in the bank. Like, there's just something about it that I just... <laughs> it feels good just to see the money there. So yeah, it, it's totally different for everyone. Again, neither one's right or wrong. But it's just good to know. And I think it's important, again, for your self-awareness to know, okay, here's why I spend the money I spend. Here's where I tend to lean in my money tendencies and why I make the decisions I make because of these tendencies, X, Y, and Z. But also, when you do have a significant other in your life or family members or friends, you can have a level of empathy with people because you can say, okay... This is why they're doing this. It's mostly because you know because of X, Y, or Z tendency that they have, and it just gives you kind of a new language and a new way to empathize with people and understand. Like in the subtitle of the book, uh, it's called "Know Yourself, Know Your Money: Understanding Why You Handle Money the Way You Do and What to Do About It." And I tried so hard to put the word relationships in there somehow because <laughs> I'm like, it does. It affects our relationships so much. You can start to see the other person, and sometimes it can be really hard to do that if you don't have the language for it or the format. Yeah. Well, that's that's one of the things that I think is actually really cool about your book is 
Exactly. Like going through these one by one, like seeing where I fall on the spectrum and then like looking at my fiance and being like, whoa, he's on the other side. He's on the other side. You know, it, it, it is, you know, obviously like I like how you said earlier, you're like, nobody is right. It's just like understanding why, you know, and where this, you know, where you fall on these, in these certain, um, your view of money. It just, it, it, we, we're all kind of different. And so I kind of yeah. wanted to actually touch on that a little bit. Like if you do have a significant other who, you know, you guys have totally different ways of looking at money. Like how do you get on the same page? Yeah, this is difficult because money fights and money problems. It's one of the leading causes of divorce in America today. So it's a, it's a big deal. So my, my piece of advice always for people is don't combine your money until you're married. And once you're married and you say, okay, I do, then you combine everything. And so it's a little bit old school, people would say, but I 100% believe you combine accounts, you have the same budget, you're working together. It's no longer my money and his money. It's our money together. Because couples that win in the long term, it's very hard to win when you're running on two separate lanes, when you're acting kind of like roommates financially. He pays these bills, I pay those bills. You're running on two separate lanes and you're on you're not on the same team. But when you just combine it all, which can be really scary, really yeah. scary. It's very vulnerable. Um, and it can be very difficult to do this. But when you make that leap, there's a level of trust and unity that's built. Like the level of intimacy, honestly, that you have with another person. Once you're married and you say, you know what, I'm we are one all the way. And here's my money. Here's all the messiness that comes with me and my money. Here's all my target trips that I spend money on. Here's all like, I mean, like here it all is. There's a level where you say, you know what, together, I accept you for that. And together, we're going to walk this journey. And couples that do it, they win so much faster. They hit their goals faster. They get on debt faster. They make so much progress versus the couples that run on two separate lines. That is so interesting. Because like I'm, we're obviously, we're, we're about to get married. We were supposed to get married. Yeah. Um, in 2020, but you know, COVID, <laughs> COVID, because of 2012. Oh, yeah, oh. but we're 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 getting ready to get married this year, and it's been a conversation. Obviously, we're like, you know, what do we want to do? And I've kind of been, I've actually been doing research around this. I'm like, what, like, what, what's the best way? Because we do we do handle money so differently, and I'm worried it's gonna lead to resentment, lead to fights down the road. Like he's gonna want to buy something, and I'm gonna be like, absolutely not. You know? Um, yeah, yeah. And so that's an interesting perspective to think about because I do, I, you know, I like that whole idea of like, okay, you guys, you guys do have, you should be sharing common goals where, you know, you're, you're both on the same team, but I don't know. I, I've been going back and forth of like, do we have our separate accounts? And then we do a joint thing where we, where we, where we use like all of our, that joint account for like our shared expenses, like rent and all of that stuff. But we still have yeah. our separate accounts that we can, use for our own like frivolous fun things without like yeah. driving the other person crazy. <laughs> totally. Yeah. No, no, no. Well, and I would say two things. I would say one, a lot of people do that because of kind of what you just said, to avoid hard, tough conversations, to avoid having to dive into conflict. And what I would say too is pushing into those hard times actually brings you closer. Mm-hmm. Like it's uncomfortable. It's not fun. It's not good. To, I mean, it's not fun to have conflict. Like no one gets married. Like let's fight all the time. <laughs> But it's one of those like real, it's one of those subjects that can bring it up because it's very emotionally charged. But when you can, can when you can learn to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to trust you in this. You're going to hear me and I'm going to hear you. And we're going to become a team and actually agree on this together. Again, the unity that's created in it, it's scary, but it's, it's crazy because you learn to communicate within money. You use those same skills of communication in every other area. Like it's not going to just be money that's hard. 
raising kids is hard. In-laws are hard. Like, I mean, you know what I mean? Like it's, it, there's so much stuff. When you choose to get married, you are literally joining your life with another person. And to avoid certain parts of life that are hard is only going to further down the, the level where you say, you know, I'm not going to engage that. And it starts to drive that wedge uh, as the years go on. So girl, I'd say dive in. You go all in <laughs> and, and, you, and you dive in. And th- but then I would also say budgeting together and saying, hey, here's where our money's going. And yes, you are two different people. Like I'm not Winston. Ha, Winston would live in a duck blind in Arkansas if he could. I would be you and live in Manhattan where you used to live. I'm like, no, I would be a New York City girl. So yeah, that's always we're always gonna be different. There's there's hobbies that are different, passions that are different. And so even in the budget, we have line items. Like I have a Rachel line item, and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I take this money and I get to go spend it. Like it's you know what I mean. Like it's it's there. We've agreed on the amount of his money, my money, all of it. So it's not like you lose your identity of who you are but you're working out of the same goals and the same value system. And I think that that's really important. Yeah. I mean, you're, I'm kind of liking this and, and especially coming from you because you're saying like, you also, you and your husband are from coming from different like areas. Like you guys have like your own, you're on different side of the spectrum, but you you have been able to come together and do this. So I'm kind of like, hmm, maybe, maybe I can too. Yeah, totally. Because again, it's, uh, it's funny because I feel like money problems are masqueraded like money problems. And it's really life problems. Like there's like really when you dig under the surface, money, it's how it comes out is a money issue, but it's really other things, right? Like, um, yeah, like Winston, I mean, like he'll, I'll make, I'm the spender. So like I'll make purchases sometimes. And for him to even ask like, oh, hey, did you get another Nordstrom box in the mail? And I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. But it's in the clothing budget. Like, I mean, like we've agreed on it. It's fine. But even for him to ask the question, I get defensive because I know myself. Like, it's so terrible. I'm like, Sarah, I'm like, I know I bought that because I was bored. I know I bought that because I, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. and if you start asking, like, I don't want to dig into who I am because of some of my spending is because I'm coping with other things. And to have someone engage that is very vulnerable and scary, but it creates this whole level of depth within marriage when you can just go there with the Mm -hmm. spouse. And I think money is an avenue to allow that to happen. Okay, real quick. Even in the new year, I know it's hard to start a new routine, but if you're one of the 34% of Americans who made a resolution to be less stressed, Headspace is here to help. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations and an easy to use app. Whatever the situation, Headspace really can help you feel better. Overwhelmed? Headspace has a three-minute SOS meditation for you. Need some help falling asleep? Headspace has wind-down sessions their members swear by. And for parents, Headspace even has morning meditations you can do with your kids. Headspace's approach to mindfulness can reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. And it's one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. It's backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews, and over 60 million downloads. I mean, let me tell you, I am a big fan of Headspace. When I first started dipping my toe into meditation, like my mind would always be racing and I would get so frustrated that I was doing it wrong. So I especially love guided meditations 
because it helps guide you through the process rather than you just trying to wing it. Now I meditate daily and it has honestly changed my life. Like, I mean, I still get stressed. Don't get me wrong, but I feel like I'm able to manage my stress better and let go of it easier. So if you're interested in maybe trying it out this year, Headspace makes it easy for you to build your practice with mindfulness that works for you on your schedule, anytime, anywhere. You deserve to feel happier and Headspace is meditation made simple. So just go to headspace.com slash big kid. That's headspace.com slash big kid for a free one month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now. So head to headspace.com slash big kid today. Well, it sounds like part of the successful recipe in this is that you guys are super organized. Like you even just said, you're like, it came out of the clothing budget. I'm like, damn, you know how much you spend on clothes? (laughs) I know. (laughs) Yeah. So the budget, it does. That's it. And I think that is the key because it is the, it's the map. It's the map of like, hey, all we agree on this. This is where all of our decisions. And if something has to change in the budget, then yeah, we talk about it. Like I'll text and be like, uh, Christmas, you know, we did we did Christmas a little big this year at our home. We moved into a new house, and so I wanted new Christmas trees. Yada yada yada. We budgeted a certain amount. Well, it was a little bit more than that. So I, would, I texted and I was like, "Hey, X, FYI, this is really the amount that came in." He's like, "Okay, we'll just lower this category and that category, and that's fine." I'm like, "That's great." So like, you can change. It. I mean, like you you're in communication about it all the time, but it is your roadmap. Yeah. To figure out. Okay, here's exactly where our money's going because the budget really is. It's one of the big tools to win to win financially because you can't win when you're not intentional. And I think so many people, you get to April 15th and do your taxes and you're like, where did all my money go? Like I made what? How much did I make? And like, oh my gosh, where did it all go? And and a budget, it answers all of your questions month to month to say, hey, here's exactly the plan. Here's exactly what we're going to do. Yeah. Do you guys just have like a master Excel? Like I'm so curious, like the (laughs) nuts and bolts We use an app. Yeah, we use every dollar. It's a budgeting app. And Ooh. so it attaches to your bank accounts. And so every time like we swipe our debit card, it, the transaction comes in that app and you can just drag and drop it to whatever line item you need. That, it's amazing because it does is, all the math for you. Oh, I love that. Okay, I like making it simple. One yep. of the hard parts, because I'm just thinking I'm like, I'm like trying to make excuses to get me out of this. <laughs> no, but one of the one of the hard parts, and maybe other people listening can can you know feel this too, is like the problem with us and money is like my income is so sporadic because like I work for myself, so I'm not getting like a yeah. set you know income every single month. Like it it fluctuates. So some months I you know bring in a ton of money. Some months I'm bringing in like literally $15. Yeah, 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 for sure. It makes it tough. It makes it tough to budget. Like, do you have any thoughts around that? Like, do you maybe just take like, okay, I know I generally make, you know, this amount for the year and maybe I just need to, you know, kind of divide it up by that? Like, what would you say? Yeah, for sure. Well, the inconsistent income, it is a little bit tougher. And that's me too. I'm so commission-based. And so if they're... And then COVID hits, right? And like... I didn't speak. I'm usually, I go and travel and speak and like all that was cut out. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, yeah, it changes and fluctuates for me as well. And so what we have to do is, yeah, it's kind of this, you kind of guesstimate and on the budget, what you do is prioritize your number one. So so like food, shelter, utilities, transportation always are at the top as well as 
as well as giving and saving. So like you have like kind of your non-negotiables, these things have to be paid. Mm-hmm. And then over here down below, it's like, okay, here's like the next group of like, yeah, we really want to hit this this month. Here are the items that we really want to make sure we cover. And then here's like a kind of the third tier that if we don't make the money and this doesn't get, we don't get to these bottom categories, it's okay. Um, or if it's less in the category, that's fine. So yeah, I mean, there's definitely something that you kind of have to go month to month for sure. And you again, you can fluctuate throughout the month. And then the months that you do really well, I always set, we set a little bit aside so that the months that are a little bit more empty, we can kind of just pull from that and, and keep it going. So it takes about those three months to get your budget right. So anyone that's never done a budget before, remember, you want to do one before the month begins. That's the key. Before it begins, look at the next month ahead. Mm. You're going to do a zero-based budget, which is your income minus all of your expenses, including giving and saving, equals zero. So every dollar coming in for the next month is already assigned the category. And you, and again, you prioritize your categories of what's important to least important. And, and then give yourself 90 days. It's going to take three months and, and really shift your mindset. I had to do this because again, I'm a spender and a free spirit. So the word budget always felt cheap. It always felt like you couldn't have any fun. Like people on budgets are not fun people. Like they never go shopping. <laughs> they never go on vacation. Like what? And then after doing it, I mean, month after month for gosh, 10 years now, I've realized for me, a budget does not limit my freedom. It actually gives me freedom. It gives me permission to spend money on the things that I value and that I want without shame and guilt and questions because it's all planned out. And sure, you're going to have limits and boundaries. We're, we're not the government. We can't just spend endlessly. Like, like, no, we have to have boundaries. And so having those boundaries is really key, but it gives you self-control. It, it makes you say no to yourself at times, but that's a really powerful thing to do mm-hmm. uh, instead of indulging and saying yes to instant gratification constantly. It really does. It just it gives you this checkpoint. And again, more than anything, it puts you in control of your money versus your money controlling you. Yeah. I think that clarity is really, really helpful. Because especially even like sometimes you... I mean, I know me, like sometimes I will go a little... not I'm not really overboard because I'm not like a huge spender, but like sometimes I have months where I have like a big amount of expenses and I still want to do things. And even if, though I go ahead and buy, spend money on those things, there's always like that deep, like, oh, you know, yes, there's totally. like a real anxiety. So I like that, that getting clear with that budget and like having, I love that. I'm going to write that app down. I'm going to put it in show notes. I think that that's a great, that's a great resolution for the new year for anybody who's like, hmm. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yes. <laughs> I, I love that. And one other, before we jump off this topic, because I, I do want to, also uh, mentioned this too. Because I was even just thinking, I'm like, I'd hate to be on the flip side. And I wonder if you hear this from couples ever, you know, maybe one person in the couple makes more money than the other person. So they're like, I don't want to be like shared. You know, we both have the exact same clothing budget. We both have the exact same whatever budget. Because like, I'm actually, you know, bringing in more income. Like, do you, do you have any advice around that when there's like a disparity? Yeah, I mean, I would ask the question why, like if there's a level that they're not bringing income because maybe you feel like they're being lazy, they're irresponsible. Like, are there other things that are causing you that that uneasiness? Or if it's simply just math, like you married a teacher and they're an accountant, well, sh- duh, you're going to make more as the accountant than than he or she is as the teacher. Like, it's just your it's your career path. So naturally it's going to happen. And so to me, that's just math. And once it hits the bank account, it's all of yours. If you agree together, like, yeah, this is our life and our careers and our passions, I'm okay with that. But again, if it's like, well, no, they make less money because they've been out of a job for six months and refuse to do anything, but we really need extra money and they're not doing it. Okay. 
that's a whole other issue that you probably need to dive into. So does that make sense? Like asking your question, like, why does that bother you? Yeah. Um, I'd have two different, I would have two different answers. If it's just career path and it is what it is, then okay, sorry. Like, yeah, that's what you guys chose. And that's great. And I think that's awesome. Like, but if it's, if there's another reason there, I would dig into that more. Yeah. No, I, I love that. Okay. So I know we were talking about this. We, we touched on it earlier, but you know, you talked about a lot of it, like fear, you know, fear is a, a huge yeah. piece of this. And I think especially now after the year we just had in 2020, like there's a lot of uncertainty that also breeds fear. So I was wondering if you could talk about maybe like the different types of fear we experience with our money and maybe like how to overcome those. Yeah, it was interesting. I interviewed Dr. Chip Dodd about this section of the book, and he said that fear is such a gift. And what fear is, it's literally our body's response that we are in need of something or that we need help. And when it turns into anxiety, that's kind of a different level that gets unhealthy. But just natural fear, it's there. And when it's there, listen to it. Understand, okay, why do I have this financial fear? So like we said earlier, a huge fear is if something happens, are we going to be okay? That's like the number one top financial fear for women. Are we? Am I going to be okay? Mm-hmm. And and you have to look to say, okay, there's a fear there. Why? Is it because maybe you live paycheck to paycheck? Maybe you have more debt than you do income. Like 40% of Americans can't cover a $400 emergency in cash. Like, is that you? Like, you know what I mean? Like, what are the things that are causing that fear? Because it could be legitimate. And if it is legitimate then yeah, I would be fearful if you had no savings and you were living paycheck to paycheck and you got furloughed because of COVID-19. Like, There's a reason to be scared. So let's figure out what can we put in place now to push that down. So you do things like build up an emergency fund, start working your way out of debt. Like You can put things in place that give you that safety net that you may not have. So look at the fear, name the fear and understand what it is. But yeah, there's there's like six different fears to talk about in the book. And, and again, identifying what it is and the things you can put in place to help with it is really important, but don't just shoo it away. Some people are like, yeah, and we don't, and we don't want to live in fear constantly by any means. But when the fear arises, be able to figure out why is it happening. Yeah. And I do, I'd love to spend a couple of minutes even just talking about some of the ways to overcome those fears. Like you mentioned an emergency fund. So for anybody who, you know, we, I know we have some younger listeners who may, you know, they're yeah. they're they're maybe even still paying off their student loans. They're like, well, how the heck am I gonna have an emergency fund? Like, what do you recommend in an emergency fund? Like, te- like what? What's like the um, yes. average? Yep. So start out with just a thousand dollar emergency funds. I call that kind of like your start. Yeah, your starter one, and you can just put that in a savings account. You can put that in a money market account. You want to get. You want to be able to get to it easily. So don't invest it. Don't put it in the market. You want to be able to get to it fast. So that thousand dollars. That's like the very first thing I want you to do. You know, write out your first budget and then say, okay, I need to put X amount away each month to get a thousand dollars. So it's kind of your first step in this process. Once you have that, then start working your way out of debt. And you're going to list out all of your debts, smallest to largest, regardless of the interest rates, pay minimum payments on everything and pay off the smallest one first and work your way. So your student loan will probably be last for most people. (laughs) It's usually the biggest debt people have. So yeah, working your way out of debt. And then once all of your debt's paid off, then you bump up that starter emergency fund to three to six months of expenses Mm. to figure out, okay, here's three months of my budget of what I need to, to live on. Save up three months of that, six months of that, whatever you decide. And then from there is when you look at retirements, look at paying off your house, all of that is down the line. But those are kind of the first three big steps to take. And and I'll say this too, you know, when you're changing your behavior, when you're changing the way you're looking at money, it can be very uncomfortable. Even if you are younger, you've been in a pattern for a few years of like handling your own money. 
And even if it's not the right way and you know it's not the right way because you're like, this isn't working, it's still comfortable to do the same thing you know, right? When you're familiar with something, it just feels good, even if it's not the best way. So to break out of that cycle, you have to have hope that what's on the other side of that change is better than what your current situation is. And it, it really pushes you to do it and it's uncomfortable. No one likes change. But I really say that first step of that $1,000, it's the easiest step of the process because it's $1,000. Like mm-hmm. you can cut out, out to eat, you can get an extra job. You, like, you can kind of go crazy for just a short period of time and save $1,000. But it's also the hardest step because you're saying, okay, I'm going to kind of start embarking on this new plan that I've never done before. And it's really scary and it's kind of uncomfortable, but it gives you this level of freedom when you have no payments, like when you have no debts, <laughs> no payments, and you have savings in the bank. You know, when a pandemic hits, it puts you in a totally different spot emotionally mm-hmm. than when you owe a ton of money on your credit cards and student loans and car loans and you have no savings. Yeah. I remember being in my early 20s and thinking like, a thousand dollars like saving that is impossible. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, yeah, like uh-huh. I just remember being at a point in time where, you know, I making rent was such a struggle. Like I was constantly in fear of like, am I gonna be able to pay rent and eat meals at the same time? So the idea uh-huh. of putting away a thousand dollars, I was like, that's insane. But I like the idea of taking it slow, you know, um, working yourself up. And then like, once you kind of hit those milestones, and I know you mentioned this in your book too, like once you start actually hitting milestones, you're like, oh, okay, I can do this. Yes, it's so true. It's so true. That's like, that's the big part of that 80% behavior. Like it's, it is, it's those quick wins. That's why I like paying off debt, smallest amount to largest amount versus highest interest rates, lowest interest rate. Because it's not always math. It literally is like, the motivation to keep moving forward. And when you hit that small goal, even if, you, yeah, even if you're saving $100 in a month or $50 a month, I don't care. But have a goal to say, I'm going to put away X amount, whatever it feels like is a stretch to you, but you're like, okay, I can do this. Mm-hmm. And you do it. You're like, oh, wow, I did it. Like it's, it is possible. Like there really is hope. I really can. I can do this. So yeah, it's an amazing thing what happens the motivation that occurs when when you have those quick wins. Yeah. I feel like I originally got there just by automating it. Like I just was automatically taking like 100 to $150 out of my checking account every month and putting it into savings. So I, I was like, I don't even have that money. I don't have it. I don't see it. I don't spend it. Yes. And that's, that's at least maybe like a tip that uh, could help somebody else. That is so interesting too. When you mentioned the, the debt, like I, I read that and I was... And I was like, oh, that's such an interesting way of looking at it, like paying off your smallest to largest. Because for a second, that almost sounds counterintuitive, but I guess it makes sense because then you're, you know, you get rid of <laughs> interest rates on yeah. multiple things. Yes, that's right. I know. I laugh all the time because I'm like, because I'll be in an interview or something and people are like, that's not mathematically correct. I'm like, well, if we were doing math, we wouldn't have credit card debt in the first place. <laughs> so like, we were like, math isn't always the issue. Like, it's not always the issue. It is our behavior. It's who we are. And when you pay off that $400 credit card bill, you're like, I just paid off four. I just did that. Like, I, it's gone. It's gone forever. Like, I did it. And then you can move on to the next one and the next one and the next one. And it's amazing. As people start that journey, we see on average, it takes 18 to 24 months to pay off all their debt. And what happens is the level of sacrifice that people make because they see, okay, if I have no payments and my income comes in and it's all mine. Like I get to decide how much I want to invest it. I get to decide how much I want to give it away, how much I want to spend. Like 
you now have control over your income versus three different banks and Sally Mae having control. Like it's you telling your money what to do. And it's a powerful thing. And so the level of sacrifice that you make, the deeper the sacrifice, the faster you're going to win. So the more you say, you know what, maybe in 2021, I'm just going to buckle down. And like we learned in 2020, I can do without a lot. I don't have to go to every single thing. Like all of that was taken away from us. And so living like that and just saying, you know what, I'm going to, we're going to cook at home more. We're going to save on out to eat. I'm not going to go shopping as much. Like we're not going to go out. Like we are cutting down things and every extra income we have coming in that's not going to necessities, we're going to throw at the debt. And when that happens, it's short-term sacrifice, but for long-term gain. Like, I mean, oh, I just, I love that your audience is young because in my head, I'm like, I mean, the faster you can get out of debt and you take the, if you just take your car payment and you invested a car payment every month from age 22 to age 62, it gets out to be like $5.5 million. Like, it's insane what happens when you just say, you know what, instead of just living the norm, paycheck to paycheck with debt, I'm actually going to let my money work for me. It's, it's just incredible what happens. So the mathematical freedom that comes with it and the financial freedom, but also the emotional and spiritual. Like when you don't owe anyone anything, you get to like quit the job you hate and go take a job that maybe pays less or start your own thing because you're able to and you're not worried about having to keep up with all the bills. So it just frees people up. And especially this generation, I just have such a heart for because I know people are coming out of school with so many so much student loan debt. Like it's overwhelming and it's just heartbreaking to me. And the faster you can say, you know what, I'm going to clean up this mess financially. The earlier you do that, the better, the better. off. I talked to 50... Yeah, I talked to like 40-year-olds and 50-year-olds and they're like, man, I wish I did this in my 20s, you know? Yeah, 100%. And I think too, I mean, maybe that's the silver lining of 2020 at the end of all of this is like you said, like we realize how much we can actually do without. And I know at least for me, I've completely like... I'm reevaluating all the things I used to spend money on. And uh, maybe, you know, I like that. I like that mentality. Maybe 2021 is the year we all get better <laughs> control of our finances. Rachel, thank it. you so much for being on today. This was so, so helpful. So informative. Um, for anybody who wants more from you, where can we, where can we get you? Yes. Uh, I have my own podcast, the Rachel Cruz show and YouTube show as well. And anywhere, social media, I'm all over with lots of lots of money content. So if you follow me, just get ready <laughs> for lots of money. Tips. Yes, that's all. Amazing, <laughs> and I'm gonna link all your stuff in show notes, and obviously your brand new book in show notes too. Yep, yeah, you can buy that anywhere. Anywhere books are sold, RachelCruz.com, Amazon, or Barnes and Noble, anywhere. Awesome, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, that is a wrap on our episode this week. I hope you guys enjoyed this one and maybe learned a thing or two. If you want to continue the combo, come hang out in the Big Kid Problems Facebook group. I'd love to hear what kind of money classrooms you guys grew up in and what your approach to finances with your significant other are. I mean, I'm still kind of blown away by that whole discussion. I need to give a big, big shout out to Rachel Cruz for being on the podcast this week. I've linked all her stuff in show notes if you want to check her out. I've also added her new book to our Big Kid Problem Amazon list so you can find it easily. So if you're new here, I pretty much add every book we've ever talked about on this podcast to that Amazon list. So if you're looking for some new reads, that's always a great place to check out. Again, that's right in show notes. I also want to give you guys a big, big shout out for tuning into the pod this week. I don't want to sound too woo-woo here, but I do think that you taking the time to click on this podcast today is a big signal to the universe that you're serious about your finances. And it's really just a great step towards meeting whatever financial goals you may have. 
So good for you, Glenn Coco. You go, Glenn Coco. All right, that is enough for me for one week. I hope to see you back here next week for a super fun, brand new episode. Until then, I will see you next Tuesday. 